Thank you for tuning into my podcast. The mission of The Authentic Networker is to inspire a new way of being with each other, inspiring each other, championing, collaborating with each other to inspire a successful journey. Each of us wants more than anything to be loved and to matter in our world. Success is a big part of that. So I seek to interview people that have something unique and extraordinary to say about the journey of success in the people business. Authentic networkers are curious connectors, authentically expanding their network. They listen to, are present, and honor the diverse values and experiences of others. If this philosophy resonates with you, I encourage you to study it and share it with your network. Let's dive into another epic interview and learn some of these stories. Hey everybody, Richard Brooke here with another episode of The Authentic Networker. I've got a very special guest and friend with me today, the great Ken McElroy. Ken is like the guru of real estate. He has over $1 billion in real estate investments. He's the best-selling author of the ABCs of Real Estate Investing, the ABCs of Property Management, The Sleeping Giant, The Awakening of the Self-Employed Entrepreneur, and several others. Ken's been featured on Cheddar, Fox and Friends, Forbes, ESPN, but more than all that, he's passionate about giving back to his community. He's involved in a lot of work for autism and is a strong advocate for his company's foundation, Sharing the Good Life. He's got a ton of gold to share with us today, so let's jump into it. Ken, welcome. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks, Richard. Great to see you, man. Really good. I follow you on social media. I miss you. I haven't seen you for a couple summers. Uh, so great, uh, great to see you and Kimmy on uh, social media. Yeah, thank you. Well, yeah, we do that. And we, uh, we left the mainland and came to Hawaii. And uh, so we don't get back there often enough, but we still have great friends there like you. And I'm sure we'll cross paths again. I've got an audience, Ken, that uh, I know is just going to eat up your wisdom and your experience in real estate. Um, you've, you've written a bunch of best-selling books. You're, you are the real estate wisdom and authorship behind Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, and you've got a phenomenal podcast of your own. We'll get into some of your accomplishments in the interview, but can you just give people like a sense of, okay, you're on top of the world. I mean, maybe give this, here's context for you. This man, folks, has purchased over a billion dollars worth of real estate. And I know he didn't start off that way. <laughs> Can you give people a sense of how you grew up and where you got your humble beginnings in real estate? Because I just read that. And it was a pretty phenomenal story. So we'll give the we'll get we'll give the whole journey a beginning and an end. Sure, sure. Well, you know, it's funny, Richard, when you you know, my parents uh, you know, barely graduated from high school and they, they were super poor growing up and 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 so were we. But I, I didn't know any better that honestly, you know, my parents, I just it was what it was. And and I I uh you know, I, I never got new stuff for school. You know, they were always hand-me-downs and I never, you know, I never went to, you know, the store to get school clothes or anything like that. But, but even my first suit I got at a thrift store 
uh, with my first job right out of college of all things. Um, but you know, I, I actually look at that as a massively positive thing because I, I really value uh, relationships. I really value, um, um, you know, how, how people, uh, you, you know, how valuable money can be in, in changing people. I don't value money, but I, I, I value what it can do for, for people. And, and uh, you know, I, so I grew up with that perspective of not having much. And, and, um, and I tell you what, everything was a massive barrier for me. I, I had so many ceilings in my head uh, from the time I was young, my, my, my mom, I, I always remember my mom and it was true. She would say, we can't afford that. I'm sure a zillion kids have heard that we can't afford that. We can't afford that. And it was true. We could not afford it. And, and so just punching through those different, those bit different barriers. And, and, and then I probably got a little aloof once I plowed in and started making money at my, the first time I, you know, I'd lost it a couple of times and, and, and uh, you know, I kind of lost my way and then I kind of got back and got grounded again. And, and um, it's not really complicated. I don't think, you, you know, especially, I like real estate a lot. I've been burned. I've given guys money for so many things, you know, that ask, you know, whether it's a gold mine or a stock portfolio or a stock tip or a wealth manager or a life insurance policy or whatever. And I tell you what, the one thing that, always kind of just stays with me is like real estate. I always tell people like, don't you wish you, you know, still owned the house that you grew up in? Like, you know, isn't it worth like a gazillion more? I'm like, yeah, well, okay. Well, that makes sense to me. I mean, that's, <laughs> so I just stuck to that. Because I'm, um, it, it's not that complicated. If, if you can, if you can buy some real estate, even if you don't have the money uh, and, and have a tenant pay it off, those are, you know, that just makes sense to me. So all I did was I just scaled that. And so, you know, now uh, my partner Ross and I, we have about 250 people and in our company, we build, we buy, we manage uh, mostly apartments, uh, multifamily. I do own some office and some self-storage and we do land development and stuff. But, uh, you know, I started with a two bedroom, two bath using my own money. And then I bought a second one and they cash flowed. I kept those for a long time. My tenants paid them down. So I made good money when I ended up selling them, but I try not to sell much. And then I, along the way, I learned about the, all the tax benefits that you get, like depreciation and cash out refinances and bonus depreciation and uh, cost segregations and all the things. I didn't know about any of this stuff. And, and I just learned it, you know, as I found people that were smarter than me to help me unwind it all. And, and then the next thing you know, I was writing books for, you know, Kiyos I ran into Kiyosaki, you know, years ago and uh, I was pitching him on a deal. You know, I was, you know as, as when you run out of money, you have to syndicate, you have to find money. Um, and, you know, so I, I, I was pitching Robert. I was in a, a, a group called EO. Now I'm in YPO, but EO, one of my friends said, you really should meet this guy. He wrote this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was not the hit that it is now. Um, and I, so I went and bought it, read it, met with him and we hit it off and uh, they ended up investing uh, almost a year later. And then I didn't, I went to a, one of his seminars just to see what he was up to. And he called me up on stage and then that kind of took off. I wanted a direction with that, but I, I never, 
I always stuck to my core, which was doing real estate deals. So whenever I went and spoke for Robert, I would just talk about whatever deal I'm working on at the moment. And so it was always interesting to me. It was never canned, never kind of out of the box. It was just whatever I was working on at the time and always seemed to work. So, so then I wrote, I wrote the books and those took off and, you know, I just stick to my core, which is real estate. You know, it seems to, it seems to give back to me more than, more than I deserve. That's for sure. Well, you haven't made any money in golf, I presume. <laughs> no, not at all. No, in fact, I always go up to BlackRock. You know, I, I leave with an empty wallet. Right. So let's start with the first um, duplex you said you bought, and then you bought another one. Because I think most of the audience here, Ken, they're not at the place where they're going to um, wire you a half a million dollars to be part of your syndicate. Maybe a few, if they're smart. Uh, because you're, you know, part of the, the number I read is you've got 10,000 units now, uh, in ownership. Um, wow. That's from one to 10,000 units. And that's not including the commercial stuff. That's just the apartments. Tell us about the first one. Where was it? What did it cost? What were you doing for a living? What was your income? Sure. How did you buy it? Yeah, so uh, so I was in the, I, my first job out of school was property management. And, uh, you know, this, so you'll love this story. My buddy calls me up and he's somebody that I went to high school with. It was his brother. And he's like, hey, do you want to manage this property downtown Seattle? And I'm like, well, what does it pay? <laughs> you know, and he's like free rent. I'm like, I'm in, <laughs> you know? So, you know, cause I was racking up student debt. So I, I moved into this place. I'm like, how hard could it be to collect rent? You know? Well, luckily my dad was a contractor, so I could fix things. I knew how to do that kind of stuff. And so I moved in and man, I, that was my learning lesson. That was the first, that was really the, you know, boots on the ground. And I, I I'll never forget the, the guy who owned it pulled up, uh, I met him like two months later and he pulls up in this really nice Mercedes. Back then it was like a 500 SEL, you know? And, and um, I was like, wow, that's a nice car. He comes in and he sits down and I hand him the deposits for that month. And he's like, hey, thank you for turning this place around and filling it up. I was just trying to work less, you know? I was like, how do I, you know, how do I not show units? Well, easy, just fill them up with good people that pay and you're good. Well. And so I, but I realized at that point, I was on the wrong side of the desk, man. I was, I needed to be on that side of the desk. And so I started in property management and that's what I did right out of college. That was my only job. And then I moved to uh, Phoenix to, um, uh, you know, start my own business with a, a friend of mine. And we, we ended up taking over this uh, uh, condo conversion from a uh, Canadian developer and um, who I became very, very good friends with and partners with later. And he was, he took an apartment building and he was selling them off as condos. And, and uh, so I bought one of those at, for 160,000. I must've been making maybe 80 to hundred grand or something. This is in the eighties, maybe late eighties, early nineties. And you know, I had 30, 40 grand in the bank and I used most of it for my down payment. And, right. uh, but I made sure that it was cash flowing. And because I was in the property management business, 
I, you know, I got that. I was like, okay, here's what my mortgage is going to be. Here's what my utilities are going to be, my taxes, and here's what the rent's going to be. And it cash flowed just about a hundred dollars a month. And, um, and, you know, I was like, as long as I keep it full, you know, it puts a hundred dollars a month into my pocket. That was my very first real estate investment. And then I did it again. Um, and uh, then of course, you know, you're, you're out of your down payments. <laughs> so right. you got to figure out, you either got to save a lot or figure out how to, how to find those deals for somebody else. And, and so, and I just knew that in order for me to scale it, I was going to have to, I, I, there's a lot of wealthy people out there, really good people with, with money that don't trust or don't know who to uh, give it to and invest it and they don't know how to invest it. So if you can find a good deal, that's all I've tried to do is find, find stuff that cash flows, find stuff that gives really good tax benefits and then put investor groups into those and then hold them long-term and take advantage of everything. So those are, those are my first two deals. I ran out of money really quickly. And uh, I was like, oh, if I'm gonna keep doing this, uh, you know, I was trying to get financially free. At the time, my burn rate was only like three grand a month or something. That was all, you know, I knew if I could, so, but, but unfortunately, as you know, I needed like 20 plus deals in order to get to that point at, at 100 a month. So right. that was the model for me. I was like, how, how do I generate enough passive income to cover my monthly expenses so that, you know, I can, uh, don't have to rely on that paycheck. So you moved into other people's monies. Uh, we'll get into that, but let's stay with the two units that you bought. How long did you keep them? And what did you net on them when you sold them? Yeah. So I kept them a while. So, you know, I'm, I'm a kind of a, a lock and leave guy. So I don't really calculate my equity, you know, when the market's up and like some people do, right. I focus on cash flow. I was working on the debt, you know, some of them I would refinance, but I kept both of them somewhere between six to eight years each. And I made somewhere between maybe 30 to 50 grand more each. And uh, got, of course, my original capital back. But uh, there's there's a bulk, there's a bunch of things at play uh, there. One is uh, if you catch the market right, you know you can get that appreciation, but not always. You know it can go the other way. Um, but the one thing that does stay true is your tenant pays down your mortgage. So I I did know that. So you know if if I could find somebody to pay off my loan. If I could find a bank to give me an investor loan, I could get somebody to pay down my loan, then I definitely got all that. So that's what I call forced equity. And then if you also can figure out a way to where you're buying it here and, you know, and, and, the, and the market's kind of trending up, then you can get it there as well. And so luckily on those two, I did it. And so what, what I started to learn at that point, and the reason I sold Richard is I learned the, the, the theory of the velocity of money. So in other words, I wasn't just selling and then, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, uh, you know, dump that money into savings or anything. I actually had a, a uh, I actually had a reason to move that money into something else. So, yeah. so if I'm selling something generally, I'm moving it into the next piece, you know, the next, the next building block, whatever that might be. And so something I'm managing my own money leverage. that way. Something that's got more leverage. Yeah. Yeah. It could, it could be, or, or something that has a lot of upside, a lot of 
value add or, or, you know, or, or you're buying something, you, you know, at the beginning of, you know, some kind of a run. Right. All right. So tell me what I did wrong, Ken. <laughs> I don't think uh, you've done much wrong from my view. I'm a horrible real estate investor. So, you know, my building in Riverstone. Yes. Yeah. So I bought that building in um, 2001 for $4,050,000. It was the second building in all of Riverstone. Second building built. And it stayed fully leased, rare exceptions, until I sold it in 2000, gosh, I'm going to say 15. I sold it. I still have some lease space there, but I sold it in like 2015 for $4,165,000. <laughs> and I had to pay John Butler a $160,000 commission. <laughs> oh my God. What did I do wrong? <laughs> well, as I always tell people, it's uh, you make your money when you buy, believe it or not. And so, you know, typically, you, you know, uh, I'll give you uh, multiple examples. When we're buying a piece of real estate, like we bought a lot in 07, 08, 09, 10. And so we were buying from the bank and uh, we, I bought one of the best deals we got was I bought a 680 unit property in San Antonio, right across from USAA insurance. Yeah. So it was 50% vacant and uh, it was owned by Bank of America. And so, you know, so I, I still remember it was uh, it was listed. And of course, everything was kind of falling apart in 08 or 09. So, uh, you know, we ended up going to the bank and getting them to write down their loan down to 20 million, they took a loss. And then I raised about seven and a half million. So my whole, I was all into that deal for around 28 million bucks, but, 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 but it, I fixed it. You, you know, I, I cleaned it up, we leased it up, you know, and, and it took a year and a half, but I had a plan around it. And then when we went and to, to get a refinance, the value was 42 million. So I created 15 million in equity. I, I call it forced equity. And all I did, Richard, was I took something that was broken, that was sitting on the shelf at a bank, and I fixed it with, you know, sound management. It, a lot of people can do this exact thing. It's just, you just take good sound management, renovate the properties, put good people in it. And it does take time and experience. But then you go back to the bank and and then we, we ended up getting a, uh, I think it was around a 32 or $33 million loan, you know, because it was worth 42 million. Well, right. so, now, so now I pay the 20 off, you know, back to the Bank of America's happy. I pay off all my investors, the seven and a half, they're happy. And we got some more pocket change, you know, three or 4 million extra cash, but I still own the building even today. And, uh, you know, everyone's got their money back. And it kicks off cash flow, and that money that the investors got back, that was tax free because it's a it's a cash out refi. So, 
you know, so, so that's a win, 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 win all the way around. The investors got their money back. They're still in the deal for the same percentage. They still get, they still get cash flow. We still own the building. And then of course, you know, we still have a lot of equity in it. So, so um, that's why I say you make your money when you buy, you know, and, and if you are going to exit, you know, obviously uh, you have another tax issue, you know? Yeah, I did. Uh, so if you, if we scale that concept down to the most of the people that are listening here, what I heard you say was the art is to buy something that is undervalued and is probably undervalued because it's undermanaged and undermaintained. And so you buy it, go in and clean it up raise the rent or in the case of an apartment complex get it rented get the other 50% rented so the cash flow changes dramatically then you have something that's worth more than you paid for it get it refinanced now you can pull the capital out of the refinance and invest that capital in something else 100% accurate yep and, and, and if you can articulate that in a business plan for somebody, then they, that's how they invest. So before I close on the property, Richard, I knew that I was going to be right around 40 million in value because all you got to do is calculate the rents minus the expenses and kind of get the net operating income. And you can kind of generally, if you do that, if you get to 93, 94% occupancy, then you can kind of figure out what it's going to be worth. You can move forward, but you just have to get there. But I've done this over and over and over and over. I mean, you know, right now people are going to do it with all these vacant malls that are going to be coming up because Amazon's killing all them. They're going to be doing it with these little micro hotels that, you know, are closed right now to COVID and, you know, they're going to get converted to apartments and assisted care. And so it's going to be the same thing. It's just, that's not the world that I'm in but my friends are doing that. And so, you know, it's just, how do you change use? How do you repurpose something? I'll, I'll give you the greatest story at a, at a small level. We were looking at land actually in Phoenix of all places. I also own some billboards and I like billboards because they, you know, they don't talk back, you know, <laughs> they don't have any employees and uh, you know, you could, you could stick some ads up on the top and you know, and the cash flow. And so, but anyway, I was looking at this land and it's just a couple acres, wasn't very big, but had a billboard on it. And the billboard, it said billboard revenue 5,000 in 2019 or 2018 or whatever. And the land was only 300 grand. Like, you know, so I'm like, okay. So I call my buddy and I'm like, hey, what do you think of this billboard? Because it's on a main road. And he's like, oh, that thing should be doing anywhere between three and 5,000 a month. And I said, oh, okay. So even on the low end, that's good. So that's I, put, I put it into escrow. I call him up. And I dig a little more into the billboard business and, and um, I hire him and um, I put an easement around the billboard, which cost me about five grand. And then I listed the land and I sold it again. So I sold the land and I own the billboard has an easement on the land. And it, right now it's doing right around between three and 4,000 a month per um, you know, uh, about a couple grand per side. And so, so I got this, you know, call it three or $4,000 a month cash flowing billboard, you know, for free. And, right. and so, 
and that's at a, you know, that's at a $300,000 investment. And so I think, you know, people, it's kind of what you see, you know, and, and real estate and, and, and deals, as you know, I mean, you're a deal guy. It's what you see. It's what other people don't see. And so, you know, some people run from stuff that's broken um, or don't see it, don't see the potential of the opportunity. And that's actually where all the money's made is, is, is there. If everyone can buy something and hope it goes up. You know, that's really easy. Yeah, that was, I think that was me. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that you said that I think is really profound is as we listen to you describe your art is that before you invest in real estate, invest in your education. So you have all these distinctions, Ken. I mean, you just see it, right? You're looking at whatever, if it's a real estate listing, the cash flow statement, the, you know, the expenses, you know, all the questions to ask. You can see it in your mind, like, you know, this whole spreadsheet, and you can see the opportunities. What do you provide? And I know you provide it, this articulated here. If I'm somebody looking, and again, I think most of my audience would be happy if they had one second home commercial something property that they were leveraging for three or four or five hundred thousand dollars. What do you offer to people? Where would where would you guide people in your company to learn from you? To learn the basics. You know, you've got four or five best-selling books. What else have you got that people where people can study to learn the art of real estate investing? Thank you. Well, I, I, here's what I, I got this question. I was playing golf last week with a young man that just grabbed, he was a, actually a big football star at Arizona State and he played for the Seahawks until he blew out his ACL and everything. And, and he's telling me, you know, he's like, well, I don't know what to do my career. And I go, listen, I go, there's two excuses, time and money. As you know, you've heard all of these. I go, if, if the one thing about COVID is if you haven't figured out the time, then it's a discipline issue because, because everyone got basically shoved home. And so you can't use time as an excuse right now. Anybody is using time as an excuse, uh, you know, uh, they have to change their habits. And, um, and so, you know, I think Richard, gosh, I mean, you and I know, like it's what's available now, especially on YouTube or, you know, with, the, with some of these guys that are really doing deals, um, it's amazing. And so I started a YouTube channel in March. Uh, gosh, we're up to 140,000 subscribers or something already. And I'm just putting out stuff that I do. I mean, I'm telling the truth. I'm not selling a thing. And I'm saying, if you're doing this, make sure you're doing this. And, and uh, it's going like this. There's a lot of really good, smart people out there. And, and certainly at KenMacroy.com, we have a bunch of videos. We have free downloads. We have podcasts. We have all those things. But there's a lot of guys out there that um, aren't really doing investment real estate that are that are you know that are selling books and tapes and seminars and stuff, and nothing wrong with education, but but if, you know you got to be careful on who your teachers are. So if you're going to listen to somebody, you know you know I've had lots of mentors in my life. I still do. Uh, I meet with them on a number of levels, and you know just to always kind of fine tune myself. You have to be, I think you should take advice from somebody who's done it and somebody who's doing it. And, and I've always had 
I still have mentors. They're 70, 80 years old. I still meet with them, you know, and they beat the heck out of me on, you know, everything from relationships to, to you know, uh, what I'm prioritizing, you know, because your, your priorities change, you know, as you, as you get older, a little more experienced. So I'm a big fan of, of coaches and mentors. And I, it, they're, I've never paid for a coach or a mentor. I, I have actually paid for a lot of personal development, a lot. But, you know, um, I'm a massive fan and a massive proponent of, of, of fine tuning yourself. Yeah. So you made a good point there. Perhaps find a mentor who's done it. And I don't think when you say done it, you mean wrote a book about it. Right. They actually did it, whether they wrote a book or not, because you just, you, it doesn't matter how many people you've studied, you know, you can go study, you can read five books and then go write your own book, right? But that, that's not mastery. And as we're listening to you describe how you did these deals and what you look for and your creativity and that's mastery. And that only comes from some success, but a lot of failure, a lot, right? A lot of deals that just didn't work out the way you thought they would. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I remember a couple, I remember two big defining moments and well, there's many, but I remember two. One is uh, we, we uh, when I first started going and dipping my toe into this big managed money, uh, Wall Street, you know, New York to me was scary you know, I, I remember flying to New York and cutting a deal with Lehman Brothers, you know, so I walk in and the, the conference room was, oh my gosh, it was the biggest conference room still I think I've ever seen in my life. And and I'm in there, like on one end of the table and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, five Harvard MBAs sit down across from me and I'm, I'm like, why, how did I even get here, you know? And I'm like, well, you listen, you know, I know what I know. I'm going to cut the deal that I can. And, and my buddy put it in perspective. He said, just, just remember, you're the dumbest one in the room. <laughs> and I said, that's probably true. But, you know, but they're all in there. And, and so, you know, every time, every single time that, uh, as you know, you, you kind of, you got to punch through those, those, you know, when you get butterflies and anxiety over things, whether it's a small deal or a medium-sized deal or a big deal, or even speaking on stage, which I still get all that, you know, I think those are good things. I, I really do. Cause it, I really, you know, I want to go in really prepared and I don't want to, I want to keep my ego down. I want to be as humble as I can. I want to be grateful that I'm there. And, and um, you know, there's a lot of things that you learn from being a, um, you know, I would say uh, you you overcompensate when you're younger uh, yeah. with with confidence that isn't really there. You know. <laughs> well, speaking of that, I got to tell you another story you'll appreciate. So when I was, um, I think about let's see, I'd be about 27, 28 years old, which would be like 1982. I was making forty thousand dollars a month. And I had a partner, it wasn't a business partner, but he was, you know, we were in the same business and he was a good friend and he was making about 70 grand a month. And we were both complete idiots to the nth degree. But we, we decide that, well, we have all this cash flow and right. So we need to be investing in real estate, right? 
And I had bought a little house back in my hometown. I actually bought it from my dad. And uh, then I bought another one in Orlando where I lived. And then I bought another one. I mean, they were like cheap houses and, and I didn't know what I was doing. But De his name was Dave Austin. And so uh, Dave and I got together one day and probably had too many cocktails. And we decided, decided to create a real estate partnership. <laughs> And you'll, you're going to love this, Ken, because this is the way it went. I said, okay, I'll keep buying rental houses and you keep buying rental houses, Dave, and, and then we'll split them. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and about, about two or three years later, we got together and I think I had five and he had eight and we were we were so busy running and making money. We had no idea if any of them cash flowed, what they were worth, if they were even rented, right? So two or three years later, we met and we just agreed, okay, you keep yours, I'll keep mine. And we'd probably be really smart if we sold all of them because we don't have any idea what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. That was my uh, second big real estate <laughs> entree that didn't work out too good. Um, personal development, Ken, I know you're a, you mentioned it a couple of times, you're a huge fan and, you know, it doesn't matter how much you know about real estate. If you can't manage your urges and your ego, and if you're inclined to take shortcuts and lie to people and it's all going to come back around, right? What, yeah. what are some of the key epiphanies that you had in personal development about you that has allowed you not only to build wealth, but hang on to it? Well, great segue, because the truth is, uh, what are your chapters that this one here? Uh, I think, you know, who are you? So that's where I've been. That's what I've been exploring for the last four or five years. So this one really resonated with me. Um, you know, so I, uh, one of, a couple of my favorite books is Awareness by DeMello, uh, yep. you know, Untethered Soul, and of course, a lot of the Tolly stuff. And yep. so, you know, some of the things that, that I'm doing personally, and I, I, this is stuff, I mean, I literally have Tolly books sitting next to me. I, I always fall asleep when I go to bed. So I, I, I try to digest a chapter or, or a, um, even a paragraph sometimes. And, 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 um, and I think the, the, one of the most profound things that, that I've been able to do and mentors have beat me over is, you know, who am I? And so you go back to, you know, talking about, you see it, I see it so clearly in our kids and people that we hang out with. You can tell when people are lying to you. you I generally can. You can tell when people aren't being honest. You can tell by their body language. You can tell a lot of those things if you're aware and uh, most of the time, you know, if you're conscious, you know, and you can tell what which people are operating out of their subconscious, um, you know, and just kind of uh, on their, um, you know, whatever, whatever they're on, whether it's anxiety or stress or you know, maybe they're habitual liars or whatever it is. And so, you know, uh, I, I think that just being aware of those kinds of things, whatever your pre-programming is, uh, you know, and, 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 and just evaluating it has helped me the most. And that's why I like that chapter, you know, who am I? Because 
and totally says that all the time, you know, is, um, you know, that is one of the most profound questions, you know, who, who am I? Am I Ken? Not really. You, you know what I mean? That's the birth given name, right. but, right. but, you know, really, who am I? What are my relationships like with my kids? What are my relationships uh, with my significant others and my family, my business uh, associates, my clients, my investors, that's all very, 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 very important to me. And so, those are coveted. Those are maintained. They're top of mind. Everything I do uh, personally is to maintain those relationships. Um, and it takes work and it takes personal work, but it also takes work. Um, and, and so I, I actually love that chapter. And I think the more present and aware you are to really understand really it is who you are, uh, whether it's a phone call, how you respond to something, you know, and, and that diffuses everything because, you know, uh, we all get wound up and we all get in arguments and, you know, with people. But I always look at my own piece. So I like, what did I contribute to that? How did I, you know, because I can't, I can't control the other person. I can choose not to be around them. I can't choose what they say, what they do, what actions they have or anything like that. And I don't, I don't obsess about any of that. I only look at my own relationship and, and say, is that something I can tolerate or want to tolerate? And, and um, so I'm, you know, all this came from the kid that grew up with an alcoholic father, you know what I mean? And, and, and yeah. uh, you know, so very, very, I've just been on this lifelong journey of, of personal development and it's, it's helped every single piece of my company. I'll tell you one of the things that it did, I didn't value culture in my firm after I started it. About 10 years ago, I started doing book studies for the whole company. We had 200 people would fly in, we would do a book study and everyone would read the book. The first book was good to great. And we did a two day book study with the company. And then, we, you know, we kept layering on books after that. And, um, you know, we've done totally, we've done all this stuff. It's basically, so now I, every year I kind of look for books that I can read and, and ones that we can push down into the, into the company. Sometimes we read a chapter, sometimes we'll spend two days on one or two chapters. Um, and that whole thing has made by the culture of my company just emerge, like it's been really uh, gratifying. Uh, you know, we're now uh, number one in Arizona, four or five years in a row, I think now, uh, top company. And, uh, and then nationally, are in the real estate world, we were ninth in the nation out of 54,000 companies. But that's all, those are all things that our employees write in about us, uh, you know, their employee-based surveys. So that was not intentional. It was intentional to help build a culture, but I was really did it, Richard, because a lot of people don't value personal development. I remember we brought in one speaker. I had 75 maintenance guys. <clears throat> you know, my maintenance guys are all, all diverse culturally. Some of them can speak English. Some of them can't speak English. You know, they're 25 to 60 years old. And, um, and I remember, you know, we're, we're you know, we're, we're actually getting semi-spiritual, you know, in some of these books and they're crying and they're talking and they're speaking about things that are going on in their families. And I mean, you know, you do a lot of this stuff and it's magical. And, and so when you can, when you can help people, you know, just move the needle a little bit, um, you know, and, and then I learn at the same time. So I'm a massive personal development guy and I will never stop. And did this, did that start with you? Um, I read, uh, somewhere that you, your father quit drinking after 20 years 
and you got involved in Al-Anon? Yeah, so that's exactly what happened. I was in college. I wrestled in college. I got that's how I got in. I, um, you know, I had a wrestling scholarship, and uh, didn't pay for everything. So I did have student loans too. But uh, I remember my girlfriend at the time. Uh, she said, "Hey, let's go." You know, they have things at the, at, in the gym, and uh, we went. And there was a, um, uh, it was adult children of alcoholics. It was, you know, they were doing a skit, and I remember like it got, I got really emotional because it was like you know, the three kids and the parents and, you know, it was all orchestrated, but it was exactly how I grew up. And it was the first time that I saw myself. And uh, so I went down and grabbed this little book. And the next thing you know, I was like, oh my gosh, like, uh, this is, this is who I am. And, and, and I just started to unwind things from there. I was probably in my early twenties. Well, yeah, I've, I've never gone through it myself, but I've read so many good things about Al-Anon and of course AA is its own personal development program right yeah. so um, as we wrap this up Ken I, I'm sure something that's on the mind of anybody interested in real estate you touched on it earlier generally you know don't you wish you still owned the house you grew up in but where do you see real estate going in the next well, in the next four years, yeah. the next seven years, the next 10 years, what do you see on the landscape? Well, you know, we, 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 there's a bunch. Uh, it's a, a very detailed question, but I'll tell you what I see. Uh, in the short term, you know, we have to get through this COVID forbearance. You know, there's, there's uh, all close to 3 million people that are 90 days uh, or more delinquent on their home that are in forbearance. And, and so, you know, right now the CARES Act's kind of protecting everyone. And of course we have this massive pent up eviction uh, issue. So right. that all has to work itself out. That's gonna take a couple of years. And, and um, so I do think we're gonna see a flood of inventory on homes. And I do think that, um, you know, we're gonna have some massive disruption on the, uh, with the apartments. The, my guys that are doing retail are in big trouble because, you know, tenants uh, aren't open, so they can't pay the rent. And then, you know, so they're, they're going to have to deal with default. And, you know, obviously regional malls, office buildings, all that kind of stuff. Big, big people are going to be taking their, you know, big, big uh, office floor plates that they have, maybe six, seven, eight, nine, 10,000 feet. And they're going to, they're going to do it 1500 or 2000, you know, so we're already seeing a lot of that. And so that's going to have to work itself out. I think interest rates are going to really stay low for a long, long time. And, and I think we're going to have some real unemployment issues and some real affordability issues moving forward. So I would expect that the administration coming is going to probably push down some money for that. Uh, in the form of, you know, uh, you know, rent uh, of subsidies of some, some, some kind, just like they did with Section 8 or tax credit or, or, or stuff like that. So I would imagine that that's kind of where we're heading. You know, uh, retail's pretty dead. You know, direct to consumers, the thing. Amazon kind of wiped it out. I tell everybody, you know, COVID, from my standpoint, just sped everything up. It was already in motion. Like we were already having retail. They were fighting to stay open, but people were already right. buying online. All it did was take 10 years and bring it down to, you know, a few months. 
and, and in a lot of ways, uh, you know, I, uh, assisted care facilities are in big trouble right now. Their occupancies are really, really down because of COVID. Um, I do think those will, will rebound, uh, but there's a lot of potential there. The micro hotels, as I mentioned earlier, the resorts are in trouble, uh, you know, and so I, that all just has to work itself out. But the, the thing about real estate is that it, it exists for the people. So not the other way around. So, you know, um, and I, I think uh, there could be massive opportunity around this uh, university area, you, you know, as, as, uh, as the kids or uh, parents and kids alike are, uh, they're starting not to value the Zoom uh, experience. You know, uh, I talked to my son uh, right before this. He said they canceled spring break. I go, how do they cancel spring break? You know, how does that work? He's like, well, they don't want us to spread COVID. I'm like, oh, that's a rite of passage. I mean, that's the reason you go to school. He's like, I know. So, you know, so there's a big disconnect with, you know, the, that, and, and, and um, you know, so I, I, I think, I think that we're going to see a lot of disruption in the real estate area, but with that, comes massive, massive, massive opportunity, you know, because, you know, the last mile distribution, the warehouse stuff is doing really, really well. Like, you know, Amazon wants everything within a, you know, mile of city core everywhere, you know, so they're putting up these distribution centers and so are all the other big boys. And so, you know, and cold storage is another thing that's, that's jumping and, and, um, you know, any kind of tech cloud center, you know, the, the regional cloud stuff is just killing it. So there's, there's things that are just on fire and things that are just going down in flames, but that's been normal. I mean, it's really been normal. You know, people ask me, you know, what's, you know, what's this new president going to do? I'm like, you guys, you don't realize when Bush was in office, who was a Republican, he was pushing home ownership, you know, back in the day, which is completely fine, but it killed the rental business, you know? And so I go, you know, every administration has their own thing and you just have to, as Bucky Fuller would say, you work with the forces and not against them and, you know, pay attention to what's happening and, and then, you know, try to, try to be part of it and, and not resist it. Yeah. Move your money out of oil, gas, and coal and put it in green, put it yeah. in green. Anything green. Simple. Right. <laughs> exactly right. Hey, you have a lot of books. Yeah. I have this one, the advanced guide to real estate investing. And I have some rich dad books, not here with me, but if somebody was to get uh, back to the person who just wants to get a, a unit or two and they want to get some traction in real estate investing, what's, what's the best book you've ever written for that person? So I have a starter book. It's, it's called The ABCs of Buying Rental Property. And um, <clears throat> that just came out in September. So it's only a couple of months old. It's, you know, for less than 20 bucks, it'll walk you through. And I'll just share with you one quick little story. I, I actually, my first book, The ABCs of Real Estate Investing was basically a multi-unit investing strategy because that's what I was doing at the time. So I wrote about what I knew. But what I should have done was gone all the way back to how I started, which is really the, you know, what everybody really wants to know more. And I never wrote that book. But so, so I, I, um, I'm busy. So I, I hired a guy to help me write it. And he would meet with me every week. And he was a retired professor that taught journalism. And, um, and during that process, he bought two rental properties 
and I, I basically it was like a mentoring session for him and he's in the book. So he was retired at home, had all his, his home paid off, started a little LLC with him and his daughter. And, uh, you know, now he's on a roll. He's got a bunch of cash flowing properties. So I'm like, David, like, you got to put that in the book. You know, like this is all happening over about a year, year and a half while I was writing it. So that's the book I just released. And, you know, it's obviously a, a ton of my stories, but also David's story is in there too. Um, yeah. and, and the reason I love that is because things have changed since I first started buying my single family. So he was able to bring kind of the new stuff that was happening right now and the obstacles that he had on finding the money, on, on getting debt and finding renters, Airbnb and all that stuff wasn't around when I started and, um, you know, short-term rentals and long-term rentals. And so anyway, so that's the one, ABC is a buying rental property. At KenMcElroy.com or Amazon? Yeah, uh, KenMcElroy.com is, is um, uh, either one, yep. Awesome. Well, hey, buddy, uh, this has been entertaining and fun and highly educational. You are uh, just a brilliant mind in your field. And I love listening to mastery that has been carved out of adversity and courage and adventure and success. And um, you're just rich with the distinctions of mastery. And so I thank you so much for sharing it with my audience. Your, your personal development journey speaks specifically to authenticity and the theme of everybody I, I interview is, I call it the authentic networker. Um, you can just take a piece of that, you know, the authentic human being, that's somebody that's real, grounded, in touch, honest, walks their talk, acknowledges their failures and their weaknesses and is stucking it up to get better. And you've always been that person for me and I, you're a great inspiration and I appreciate you lending my audience the time. Yeah, Richard, as always, man, birds of a feather flock together, right? Jim Rohn says you are, you know, your, your five closest friends, that's who you are, right? Yes. So uh, I appreciate your friendship too, man. I miss you guys. Yeah, miss you too. Thank you. And thanks. Thank you, audience. If this interview was a value to you, share it with your network, share it with everyone, you know, listen to it more than once, because the second time, I promise you, you're probably going to learn more than you're actually going to learn more than you did the first time and the third time. So re, spaced repetition, study, 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 go to KenMcElroy.com, get the book, get on his YouTube channel and get investing. Thanks for joining us on The Authentic Networker. Thank you for tuning into The Authentic Networker podcast. There are over 100 episodes to study, including another 100 blog articles at richardbrook.com.